All right, well, let's look at something Jesus told us from John chapter 15. <clears throat> Familiar verses, but they are very, very explosive verses. Uh, John chapter 15, as you know, they were on the pathway to the Garden of Gethsemane from Mount Zion. And uh, there was quite a cloud over the disciples at this time. And uh, the Lord was preparing them for what was going to come. And Christ Himself was facing the cross in just hours. And I can't imagine what this walk was like. <clears throat> but um, as they're on the way, uh, he, he gives some verses. It's very interesting. In the Roman Forum, uh, their uh, history tells us that there was a fountain called the Fountain of the Maiden. And it was quite an impressive fountain. I mean, it was uh, a natural fountain that was quite uh, a major spectacle there in uh, the very center of the Roman capital. If you've ever seen pictures of Rome during the time of the Caesars, like first century and so forth, it makes Washington, D.C. look a little um, not, not quite as nice. I mean, it was incredible. In fact, some of the artist's renderings just take your breath away. Uh, unfortunately, if you go to Rome right now and go to the Forum to see it, there's only a little bit there because Rome built right over it. You know, modern Rome did. And uh, it's not like when you go to a place like Ephesus or Pompeii or other uh, like... Um, uh, we like to go to Bethsaida, I mean, uh, we like to go to Bethshan in uh, Israel in our trip. I mean, just breathtaking um, ruins. Uh, there's not much left there because everything has just been torn down and, and so forth. But um, it was, uh, they couldn't find the Fountain of the Maiden. It almost was like it was sort of a fabricated something, but yet it was so much in history that it had to be there. Well, one time they were just clearing out rubbish and things from one aspect of uh, the forum. They continually are trying to improve it, make it look a little bit like it's got ruins to it there. And all of a sudden, whoom, this uh, fountain bursts forth. And uh, very clearly, that was the fountain of the maiden. And it had been closed in. It was always there, but it was closed in by the refuse in all of the, you know, the years of of uh, rubble that had come, and when that all got cleared out, it exploded forth. Couldn't help but think of how, how much the life of Christ is held down in our lives. I'm telling you folks, when you think about the fact that you are indwelt by the Spirit, that's an awe-inspiring thought. God moved in. Uh, I remember, as was alluded to here, even the sacrificial system, the high priest only went into the Shekinah glory one time a year and made atonement. And yet we've got the Shekinah glory inside our very spirit. And the Spirit of God wants to show forth the life of Christ. And, and what happens, young people, is that when the rubbish, uh, when all of the stuff of our life it just sort of gets stuffed in and we're not living for Him, we're living for self, we're not thinking spiritually. By the way, do you see how a lengthy prayer meeting gets you out of the temporal? You know, you're not even able to answer your cell phone really. We were really tempted to have cell phone baskets at the doors, but we decided not to do that. But, uh, uh, and, but I didn't see too many people going and running out with their cell phones, so that was a good thing. I think most everybody had them turned off. 
But the point is to really be spiritually minded. But when we are, bursting forth from us is the life of Christ. You think of the difference between a self-centered life and the glorious life of Christ. Haven't we marveled just even the few things that were said here this morning? Isn't it wonderful to know Christ? What a Savior. And He is in us. And He's in us the hope of glory. And when we are willing to let the Spirit take away the self-life, bursting forth is the glory of Jesus. That's why certain Christians do glorious things, because Jesus does glorious things. And I wonder how, how much the fountain of Christ has been held down. Well, it's this thing called self. A, uh, a Milwaukee teacher took her first grade class to a dairy here in Wisconsin. A very good field trip to do. How many have been on a field trip to a dairy? Anybody? A few of you, all right. It's, it's interesting, it's interesting. And uh, so they got a full <coughs> uh, tour of the dairy and, uh, and the, it was just uh, the, the guide really put themselves into it. So the guide asked afterwards, does anybody have a question? Everything was quiet, little girl really raised her hand and she said, did you notice that I've got a new snowsuit? <laughs> And I give that simple little illustration. If you've worked with elementary, of course, you know that's just life. <laughs> but uh, self, 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 self. Uh, we don't learn things. We're not aware of anything else. We're not aware of people. We're, about, we're aware of our snowsuit. You know, I mean, it's just amazing, that default position. Well, in John chapter 15, I want to give you three verses. And in the few minutes, because I'm going to end a tad early today, um, in the three verses, I'd love for you to, to meditate and DBS on them a little bit more because they really are explosive. Uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ooh. Ye are my friends if you do what I command you. It's sort of like boom, boom, boom. I mean, if, you know, we're so used to those verses, it doesn't affect us. If you heard those for the first time in person, that is explosive. So first of all, the Lord Jesus has an expectation and a standard for love in your life. You see, flowing out of times of prayer and times of uh, learning of Christ, this fountain of the love of Christ should be that which marks us. In uh, 2 Corinthians, it's called the fragrance of Christ, the reality of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, the very face of Christ is seen in us. And it's all seen in love. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And now abideth Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. The mark of someone who knows Jesus and is living Jesus is love. Now, he says, this is my commandment. This is a commandment. Jesus, by the way, have you noticed that there's a lot more commandments in the New Testament than the Old? I don't have the number in front of me, but it's pretty amazing. And uh, the Lord Jesus himself was very clear, but he states that this is a commandment. 
And so there is a very high expectation here that we are to love agape, self, uh, of love that is not filled with self or response to other people's affection for us, but is a decision of the will. Now think about it. Why do we like people? Because they like us, you know. Uh, don't you like somebody that thinks you're neat, you know? So, so you sort of like that. That's why boy likes girl. Boy shows interest. Girl goes, oh, you know. And, uh, and the guy's a real dump, you know. I mean, but uh, just the fact that he thinks she's something, you know, and, uh, or vice versa. <clears throat> and we really fall for reciprocal love. Ever thought, why, why do you love your parents? Well, the initial affection came because they did an awful lot for you, <laughs> you know. And they're kissing all over you, and they think you're the greatest thing in the world. And I mean, honestly, I mean, it's pretty, it was a pretty good deal. And you're growing up, they're just, they're buying you everything. I mean, you can't help but love somebody that does that for you. But did you notice that some of that affection went away as you got older because they started saying, you're not doing that. And your irritating traits began to show themselves. Now, I hate to tell you, but everybody in this room has irritating traits. The person you're going to marry has irritating traits. Okay. So try to get rid of them as much as you can. All right. Roommates. Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, did I? I won't go into stories. I don't have the time. But I think I had, of course, we'd all say that. I think I had the most irritating roommates in the world. I had a, an academy high school roommate for a whole year. That was bad. It was really bad. I mean, he, he, he was on a chart of zero to 10 as far as irritating, he was a 100. <laughs> However, I may have told this story, but I had to save his life one time because for one semester I had a truck driver, 300 pound dude that had, that had come for college. He's about 40. And he had left his little girl, he was divorced, and he's cried every night for his little girl. Here I am, you know, I'm a junior in college, and I'm, I got all this stuff going on in my room. But I walked into my room, and that, that academy roommate irritated that guy more than he irritated me, and I'll never forget, he had him up like this. And he was one second away from, boom, you know. And I remember, ah! <laughs> I, I wanted him, the problem was I wanted him to do it. <laughs> I remember thinking for a second, why did I walk in now? That would have been just great. <clears throat> That's terrible. I'm confessing. Okay. <laughs> However, <clears throat> I did show responsibility and stopped it from happening, and we did not have a murder on campus there. But, uh, but anyway, we can be irritating. Now, have you noticed that sometimes your parents get a little frustrated with you? In fact, they may have sinned and got mad at you. Okay. What happened to your love level? Bitterness sort of comes in. This is where you have the teen problem, and when parents don't get right, you know, it's a problem. You're old enough now, you get right regardless of whether your parents did or not. But my point is this. Do you realize nobody was greater than your parents when you were little? And now, probably when you were younger than this, you didn't love them quite so much. That shows you that your love was selfish. It's all about what they did for you and what they let you do. And when they started saying, no, we want you to do this, want to do this, no matter how they handled it, 
your affection part might have been challenged and you then had to make a decision. Am I going to love them unconditionally and honor them? And when you made that decision, all of a sudden you started loving them more than you did when you were younger. You follow me? And I'm sure a number of you made decisions over these last you know, months and years where you got some of that stuff out of your heart and you realize, well, and you, re you have a deep love for your parents. Well, that's supernatural. And so we've got to understand that, uh, as one writer says, infantile love follows the principle, I love because I'm loved. Mature love follows the principle, I am loved because I love. Immature love says, I love you because I need you. Mature love says, I need you because I love you. And the point is, it's that selflessness. And, uh, and the Lord Jesus said here, I want you to love one another. Now, young people, God dealt with us about why we don't get out there and see people saved. It starts with your family and your roommates and your classmates and the people that are around, around you. When you are <coughs> reacting and not loving and selfish, there's no way God's going to be able to really use you in outreach. But if you are living a genuine, loving life, the life of Christ, it just flows right out. Are you willing to give of yourself to somebody you don't really like? Are you willing to be sacrificial? Are you willing to love somebody that really is not very kind to you? In fact, the Lord Jesus said you're supposed to love your enemies. Now that all sounds good, but you know, even in a little societal situation like we have here, you've got all levels of how people treat you. You gravitate to people that think you're pretty neat, and you sort of ignore people that wonder about you. You know, <laughs> you know how it goes, or whatever. And this certain people, thankfully, we don't have as much of that as oftentimes there is in a situation like this. But the point is, we got a commandment. The commandment is, God wants you to love everybody in here, your family, and, and everybody you come in contact with as Christ loves you. I'm telling you, if you get a hold of that, that is really indicting. He gave everything. In fact, let's go to the example here. Um, as I have loved you, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, you really think about that. Would you die for your dad? Would you die for your mom? If you really love them, and I know most of you would do anything for them, would you die? You, know, you really can't answer that question, can you? Obviously, we're not in that kind of situation. Would you die for your little brother? No way. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, would you die for your older sister? Would you die for a classmate? You know, I know they're a Judson brother, but you know, I can only go so far, you know. Or a Frazier sister, it doesn't matter. Nobody here is naturally ready to die, are you? What two men in the uh, <coughs> Word of God not only were willing to die, but to be eternally damned for others? Old Testament was... Moses and God wouldn't let him, but he meant it. New Testament, 
It was both for the nation of Israel, wasn't it? By the way, they were serious. That's why when we let God change our heart, that's why a missionary can put their life in danger because they have such an, a love for people they don't even know. That's the love heart of Christ. You can't work up this. But the point is, the love that God wants you to have, if you had to face it, is greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And, and I want you to see that this really reveals our selfishness. You know, uh, we can't even think of giving up ourselves for those that we really, 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 really like, love. And to think to lay down our lives for our enemies like Christ did. It's an amazing thought. It's impossible without the Lord. In fact, Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, honestly, He loved you so much, and you're a sinner, and you've rebelled against Him. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, you'd be a mess right now. And He died. And that's what some of you are talking about. It really should get to us. But he says, I want you to love others the same way. I really do. Aren't you glad there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus? No, not one. People ought to be able to say, put your name in there. There's not a friend like so-and-so. No, we all respond to somebody that really has a heart of love. See, this is a measuring stick, folks. It comes, and the reason I bring this up is coming out of a prayer meeting, all of a sudden your standard gets higher. Have you noticed that? It's just that when you start seeing Jesus, you realize, yeah, boy, the love that I should have. It should be extreme love. Uh, 1 John 3.16, another one of the 3.16s, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The tsunamis back in 2005, uh, Sri Lanka was one of the places, and Dr. Tom Johnson went there uh, to visit. He gave a tract to a lady. I think he led her to the Lord, but she told the story with tears of just a uh, couple of months before that when the tsunami came in, the little boy, the, their son, was pulled, and the, and the dad jumped into that tsunami and and got his son on a big tree that wasn't bending and was able to get him up on that tree and then the undercurrent took him and he died. And, uh, and she with tears just said, my son still talks about my dad died for me, my dad died for me. That's of course a tremendously touching story and there are many stories like that. But uh, Jesus died for me. He put us on the tree. We were saved through it. And, um, but we ought to do that for others. And so let me just say this, I don't have time for long application, but you ought to come into each day thinking, what can I do for somebody? See, we have a tendency to be nice to somebody because it does actually gain us something. Think about someone maybe uh, 
that uh, some need. You know, you know, God can just show it to you, and it won't be necessarily the person that you naturally do it for. Encouraging. And I tell you, at any time you're condescending or have any kind of a negative thought or word, boy, that just ought to strike your heart, and you've got to get that right. That just is a no-go, okay? But uh, we ought to be thinking, what can we do? What can we do to be sacrificial? I'm telling you, that's when there's a revival, when everybody knows. It's not we're kind to each other. We really do love each other. We're willing whatever needs to be done. And I've seen it in the student body. And it's, it's a beautiful thing when it's the life of Christ. You ought to be, what about somebody on the job? Some of you working in tough, difficult situations out there. Some of those unlovely people. What about some of those bus kids as they turned into junior high? A little hard, isn't it? Or other, other kids. And, um, but this is where, where it's really important and it reveals ourself. But then verse 35, you think you get knocked out with verses uh, 12 and 13, but verse 14, oh my. Ye are my friends if you do this. Don't talk about being a friend of Christ if you don't have his love. Moses spake to God face to face as a man does with his friend. But he had just done what? Send me to perdition, but save Israel. Moses' heart and God's heart, because of God, were similar. And that's why he saw that vision of God. And so if we're going to be the friend of the Lord, we just can't be about ourselves. We can't be try to be popular or have a popular group. And again, I thank the Lord we don't have much of that. But you know, I tell you, our motives are so suspect. You ought to come into a day, who can I bless? We've got to be a servant. We just need to, to, to give Christ, to give Christ, to give Christ. You know, just your face, your countenance, but a kindness, listening, sacrificial, love. Don't you appreciate it when somebody really cares at a time when you're hurting? And when you're sensitive to the Lord, you can sense that. To some of the unlovely people you minister to. What about that sibling back at home that you've reacted to? What about those parents that you've not shown the affection to because they've been a little tough? Haven't reestablished that relationship. I mean, they ought to know you love them to pieces. You know what I'm talking about. You want to be a friend to Jesus? So I want you to love like I love. I tell you, it's going to take you a few hours to DBS that and get this. But we can talk all we want to, but then we walk around and we're all about ourselves and we lose what we gain in a prayer meeting or a message. And I just felt led very strongly today to just, how much do you really love? Or how much are you about you? Let's bow for prayer.